Welcome to the Spike Feed, your leading Magic the Gathering podcast. What is up? My name is Curtis, and I'm just your typical Spike. On the line with me, my good buddy, producer extraordinaire, and part-time therapist, Cameron McCoy. How you doing, buddy? <laughs> Dude, I'm doing well. How about you? You know, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, we were just talking about, uh, before the show, daughter went to uh, her first homecoming. So, we're officially old guys. I know. Like, officially, like, officially. We need to play some, like, Simon and Garfunkel to just, like, look at our own existential existence right now. <laughs> right, right. Um, I'm just I'm just trying to get a nap in. You know what I mean? Like, uh, that's just me. Dude, Magic the Gathering is happening, and we are a show that talks about said game. Um, you've been playing some standard. I've been playing some standard. The talk in the community has been about standard. And not necessarily all in a negative way, which is kind of exciting. Mm-hmm. So I'm interested to hear. The, I I don't know what this word is. It starts with a P and ends with an aper. Uh, mm-hmm. What's going on here? It's weird. You like you you take paper cards, and if you're smart, you put them in a plastic sleeve, mm-hmm. and then you play this game with other human beings face to face. It's crazy, dude. Like. It's going to take the world by storm, I swear. Uh, <laughs> playing paper standard. Um, and, dude, I have I have missed this in a way that I didn't think I could miss it. I still love playing Legacy. I will play Modern or Pioneer here or there when I need to. But uh, standard, I haven't played, like, an actual paper standard deck Dude, I can't even tell you the last... It's embarrassing, like, how long it's been since I've played Paper Standard. Um, And fun fact, um, you can sell, like, you know, two or three modern cards (laughs) and get a standard deck. (laughs) Real fast. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, anyway, playing Blue-White Control, this is a list that is floating around and I'm my list that I currently have because I didn't have access to every single card that I wanted or needed um, is not fully optimized I think but I think it does fairly well against uh, well at least the metagame that I was playing in uh, so this blue eye control list uh, your win condition is playing Teferi who slows the sunset into a Strixhaven Stadium. And so you're just trying to keep your opponent off of creatures. You're using your own all-run epiphanies to create Raven tokens. And then Strixhaven Stadium, um, you can tap it to add a counter to the stadium. Um, And anytime you attack with a creature and it deals damage, you add a counter to the stadium. And then when there are 10 counters on the stadium, you automatically win the game. So you're really just trying to I, I mean, get to this point where you control everything. You have maybe two Alrin Epiphanies ready to go. You're maybe running like the Cave of the Frost Giant, Amirius Call, attacking and maybe getting in 10 damage, but then winning the game outright. So that's um, kind of how it works. Uh, things of note. Uh, I haven't actually played Memory Deluge until this week, and that card is so fun, so good, and to me, every bit as integral to this standard as Sphinx's Rev decks were 
during that Theros era of thing. Like, I feel like this is the card that really drives everything. There's so many other things that happen, but like All Rinse Epiphany, Blue-White Control, these two things, we're going to have it for the next two years, right? Like, I think it's like, it's that important of a card um, for blue-based control decks um, here on out. Like, it, I mean... That's news that's two weeks old already, I know, but, like, seriously, it's here to stay. It's really, really good. Um, ended up going 3-1. I split for first uh, and had a really good time. Um, my opponent was playing the mono green deck. Um, Run and 7 is everywhere. Allrun's Epiphany is everywhere. Goldspan Dragon, to a lesser extent, seems to be a, in a lot of places as well. Those, I think, are the three best cards in Standard right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I'm excited that you played this deck. I'm like pouring over the list right now. Mm. And co- dude, it's cool. It's cool. And like, I feel like the discourse about this format and the format that I'm experiencing are two separate things. And that I don't want that to take the form of those people's experience are invalid. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Mm-hmm. My sample size is much smaller. I'm also not playing at super high level competitive events. I'm just wallowing amongst the golds and the diamonds right now, you know, and kind of riding that wave and experiencing all these different decks. But like to hear it online, people are saying if you're not playing Blue Red Epiphany or uh, Asika's Chariot into Renin Seven, you're dumb and all these other decks are useless. But then it's like I see Mono White gets results. Mm-hmm. I see this deck that you have gets results. Like, it's okay for there to be a tier two and those tier twos to occasionally topple. Like, I just feel like we are so out of practice with a standard like this, right? And mm-hmm. that's not to say that things won't get banned because I, you know, spoiler for next segment, I think it's very possible. But this standard just feels like standard of two years ago, like pre War of the Spark stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And where. Yes, there are defined like six decks, but within the context of that blue-white deck that you're playing, if you knew you were playing against more ramp, you could change what's going on in the deck to suit your meta. And like ever since Field of the Dead got printed, through Fires, through Wilderness Recommend, you know, on and on, those that did, wasn't a feature of those. Yeah. Right? It it was everybody was playing that, and then you would tune inside of those decks for the mirror. But there was never a moment where you're like, oh, my meta seems to be this, so I'm going to do X. It was just because all the other decks were so horrendously less than, right? Yeah. Uh, I guess the Omnath deck. Remember the Omnath deck with the Genesis <laughs> Ultimatums? Oh, we were so young, so naive. Yeah, yeah right. So <laughs> here's, how I, here's how I would qualify this standard. This standard is the Disney's Tarzan soundtrack. Okay, no one's going to argue that that's the best Disney soundtrack, but you know what? It's kind of a warm blanket. You kind of feel good when it's on. You know some of the words that you didn't think you knew, right, Cameron? Yeah. Yeah. And you're kind of vibing with it, and it's pretty good. That's how I feel about this standard. So last week I played a lot of the quote-unquote best deck, the Blue-Red Delver Epiphany, Blue-Red Epiphany, variations on that kind of deck um now sitting here switching back to blue black i think blue black is worse against some of the uh fringe decks 
like what you were playing or some mm-hmm. of these other things, I think it's could be tuned very well against the Blue Red Epiphany deck, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I've had a tremendous record against it. Again, no, I'm not playing on the Pro Tour, and these are not like ringers, you know, that I'm playing against, but I've had a really good record with my build of Blue Black. Just for the record, my current version of Blue Black has no creatures. Every time I've played with creatures in that deck, I found that they're not very effective. Um, usually it's All Runs Epiphanies, uh, a Lily, and sometimes a Loth, and, you know, Bob's your uncle. That's how you win the game, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's a lot of man lane action, too. But um, I've also incorporated Four Memory Deluge, which, again, might be the most Curtis card ever printed. Okay? It's good. It's really good. It's really my style. And then I'm playing two Behold the Multiverse because I was finding that I was constantly kind of running out of gas. But that style of deck of me just leaving mana up, passing the turn, then I have the option to Behold the Multiverse, Memory Deluge. I can counter something if I want. I can Soul Shatter. Like all of that stuff, the sequencing and then finding your window of time to play your Planeswalker is mm-hmm. just the best, dude. And like a skill set that I feel like is atrophied in my brain because I've had Shark Typhoon for so long. Yeah. Yeah. Like the 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 most ridiculous instep. Oh, I guess I'll make a 5/5 five five and draw a card and not even cast it. Like is that okay? Yeah. You know. So just like again, that comfort level of getting back to that kind of standard. Again, not that there's not problems because there are problems with this standard. It's not perfect, but boy, is it a huge step up. Mm-hmm. Um We've been we've been driving a used Hyundai accent for a while. Now now we're in a Camry and it's feeling pretty good. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um. Anyway, Karen, anything else? Like, because I didn't play any limited. I just like f- fully focused on standard. Um. Anything else really stick out to you about this? Yeah, I mean, it's so funny because like, whenever I'm playing historic and I just play for, I'm not sorry, not historic arena when I'm playing arena and just playing like a week straight and I choose a deck and I just go and like, I just feel like I'm not having fun. I I feel like I'm just going through emotions and all of that returning to paper has just reinvigorates me. I was goldfishing on Thursday night, which I hadn't done in ages. And I actually didn't touch arena this week, which was great and refreshing and here i'm playing the same sorts of decks i'm playing against the same sort of decks that i would be in arena but it was a breath of fresh air like i was actually okay seeing a seekers chariot into run in seven i absolutely was fine with that countered the run in seven doom scarred the the chariot tokens and i felt fine about that you know so i don't know man like it's it's good it's it's good to be playing paper Dude, I'm super jealous. Like, my schedule isn't allowing me to play paper, but we both, like, I feel like have floated this opinion multiple times. Digital magic is a great training device mm-hmm. for paper magic, but paper magic feels like the performance piece, right? That feels like absolutely what you're there for. And no matter how engaged I am with a digital game of magic, it is never the same level of focus for me in the same, like... Never. Dude, it sounds like... Have I got new age? What is happening? It's like this moment of zen. Like when you're in a paper magic game and totally fully focused on it, there's just a real sense of calmness there, right? Like 
it's really something, right? Like you're just fully focused on that. I, I feel the same way when I'm really into a book. Mm-hmm. Is, mm-hmm. is that your mind is so intent on one thing, it's allowing the rest of your mind to unplug, rest, relax, whatever you want to say. It's basically the opposite experience of checking Twitter, right? <laughs> and so <laughs> where your mind is worrying on all cylinders. Uh, and so, yeah, anyway, I'm rambling here, but I just, I'm jealous that you got to play Paper Magic, dude. Um, that being said, let's get out of this segment of positivity and talk about how everything needs to be banned. We'll be right back. All right, Cameron. So uh, the monkey du jour um, is Raghavan, and the debate um, kind of centered around legacy. And surprise, surprise, Blue Red Delver is running away with the format. Basically, every time it gets a new tool, it becomes the best deck. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, all the, you know, hey, not a ton of people play legacy anymore. These are small sample sites, Magic Online results but the legacy community is still there they're still playing this format and they are engaged in i'm saying they because i don't feel like i'm a part of that community anymore which bums me out they are engaged in a pretty vicious debate about ragavan and whether he should be banned or unbanned the other interesting element of this i think is you're going to get a more honest discussion amongst legacy players because the money that's tied up in their ragavan isn't as important to them mm-hmm. as in my opinion modern players who, you know, Raghavan on some of these decks can represent a literal third of the price of your deck. Sure, sure. Right? So, uh, but with legacy players, I mean, they all drive around in, you know, luxury cars and, you know, they're all just incredibly wealthy like yourself, Cameron. So, uh, I'm interested to hear your opinion. Uh, I know you haven't necessarily played a ton of legacy, but you're certainly more in the scene than I am. Where do you fall on Raghavan being around or not around? Um, I mean, fine with the card on the surface level and whatnot. Hate how it was printed in the super premium thing where that's another conversation that Wizards has done um, where I have major issues with, with her Modern Horizons 1 and 2 now. Um, but I think when it comes to legacy and we have a card that costs one mana with a great dash mechanic and nets you mana, um, it's no different than what we've talked about before. It's Deathrite Shaman in a different color. Um, (laughs) Deathrite Shaman was creating a lack of diversity in a lot of decks in legacy and i feel like if blue red is going to be or variations thereof are going to be around and that's 60 percent of the meta with the giant card pool that is available maybe maybe we ask ourselves um it's maybe it's time or maybe it should never have been printed well yeah i think that that's a definite yeah um here, true serum time, Cameron. I'm going to read for you a list of cards, and I want yes/no answers here. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the the answer the question is: Is Ragavan better than this card? Okay, or worse? Okay. Jataxian probe. Hmm. 
Yeah. Okay. On par? On par? Okay. Ren and Six. I think it's better than Ren and Six. Dreadhorde Arcanist. Oof. Those are on par, in my opinion. Arkham's Astrolabe. Screw that card, man. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, I'm not asking you which card you like better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Arkham's Astrolabe is the least likable card in the history of Magic. Yeah, I think Arkham's Astrolabe is a better card, um, just because it's in more decks. You can put it literally in anything. Underworld Breach. Ooh. I I mean, yeah, I, I think we have to go with Raghavan. Yeah, so I, I'm just, like, cherry-picking cards that have been recently banned. Sure. Um, there's been some really good uh, articles and discussions. I think, like, again, a nice thing about the legacy community is these are very reasoned-out arguments that are mm-hmm. not, like, mm-hmm. filled with personal attacks and, you know, everybody kind of respectfully disagreeing with each other, and that's really nice. Um, but I think a lot of the discussion centers around, well, you leave brainstorm around, you leave ponder around, it's like, I kind of think we're to the point where those just shouldn't play into the discussion. Because obviously they're not going to ban Brainstorm and Legacy. I am definitely one of the people that thinks you can play decks without playing Brainstorm. I did it for a while. Mm-hmm. Multiple times. And I also think Brainstorm doesn't necessarily decrease the diversity in Legacy, right? Because you have to play it in combo and tempo and control. So, like, yes, it is a necessary thing. If you banned it, um, you would certainly hurt Delver decks <coughs> more than anybody. Um, combo decks would definitely be hurt, but like control, okay, now we're playing preordains or whatever, you know, there, yeah. there would, there would be a, a solution there. Um, cause there, I mean, let's be honest, there's a solution within the context of modern. You can still play control kind of, um, but th- this theory that Raghavan is similar to Delver of Secrets slash Tarmogoyf slash, and I, to me, that is just not what this card is. Mm-mm. And like. To compare it to those, I think, is a little bit um, short-sighted for what the impact is that it's having on the game. Delver of Secrets does not gain you card advantage. It is a threat. It's a beater. It's a club that hits your opponent in the face. It is not a thing that can draw you two cards in the game and generate two mana. Mm -hmm. If you do that for one mana in a legacy game, you are going to win. Right? Like, that's just such a massive advantage. Right, and it, the mm-hmm. thing that blows me away is, and I'm telling you right now, I am of the bel- belief that Ragavan is better than Deathrite Shaman. I think it's a better card, mm-hmm. and I think across modern and across legacy, people are not playing it enough. I honestly, in my heart of hearts, believe that. I think if you're playing blue white con- like Stoneblade, why are you not playing Just Guy and just playing Ragavans? Absolutely. Right, like. Just the ability, even just if you just, if that card only had dash, like you could only cast it with dash, you can make an argument for it in like Jund, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but being able to just like, hey, I'm playing this on turn one. And, you know, look, I was playing, the times I played against it, I played Storm, which can almost entirely ignore Raghavan. Like, yeah, they might snipe a pass in flames off the top of my deck, and that's bad news. But by and large, I'm going to do my thing or not without the Raghavan actually mattering. And it's still completely busted compared to Deathrite Shaman. And you would think Deathrite Shaman would be a huge problem for Storm. It was. Um, but this is worse. So I, what I think I think is going to be a little bit immaterial, 
gun to my head, if I had to put money on the table, I think Raghavan is on borrowed time. Yeah. In in both formats. Uh, they're not going to do it anytime soon in Modern because they printed in Modern Horizons. But this is, especially if we get to GPs in Modern, and you're going to see 32 Raghavans, they're gone, right? That's a, that's a problem, yeah. So we touched on this last uh, episode, but Allrun's Epiphany has, at the high-level competitive events, um, started to really put up some pretty gaudy numbers. Mm-hmm. Cameron, I feel like you've raged about All Runs Epiphany before on Twitter. Oh, Am yeah. I remembering correctly? I, I mean, we'll say rage. Sure, let's use that word. Because uh, I, I you're do a very, not... guy, you're a guy that's full of rage. Like, listen, to he, man. sure, yeah, yeah. I, I'm not a fan of All Runs Epiphany. Epiphany. I have, I mean, I've, I bought a playset to put into a blue white control list and maybe a blue red control list, um, just because. Yes, it is the best card, but. It's the sort of card that I really, really don't like. Just as much as the um, Nexus of Fate, and we can go on and on and on. I don't like turns decks, really. And, I mean, this is just like, it's a necessary thing that you have to just put into a blue-white control list, or control list, really. Um, But I don't like it. So, I think the format would be better if it were gone. Yes, um it's it's interesting like i don't know that i think it's like busted in the same way but it's also like i i feel as though there are people that they're just so used to critiquing standard without playing standard that some of these things sound ridiculous when people say oh well rotation all runs epiphany was going to take over it's like i don't know if you played last standard against the ultimatum deck but a key element of that was (laughs) all runs epiphany this should not have been a shock to you that this is like a way to basically put downward pressure on the format. And there's a long history of cards that do that, right? Um, uh, the the Emrakul with Delirium. Very similar, or not with yeah. Delirium, whatever. The, the Delirium reduces cost. You yeah. know, that was a card that put downward pressure, Ulamog in that Zendikar era, right? Karn has done this before too, like seven mana Karn. Your Ugin, again, I probably... That's probably the most obvious example that we've had recently, right? Mm-hmm. You're going to Ugin if you hit eight mana. So <coughs> there's always been cards. But to your point, and I don't know why this hasn't like occurred to them at Watsi, but like getting turns taken away from you is really not fun compared to having your land stone rained or a counter spell. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is it, infinitely on- worse. I totally agree. I, I mean, if to me it's on par with your you're playing standard and somehow your opponent is able to play Yeah, strip mines, you know, and just like look at you, you have no mana anymore, and like the game it the game should be punishing. The game should be hard. I mean, you should have to compete, but like and I hate saying like it's just not a fun card, but like it really takes and sucks the enjoyment in a way that I think is just not healthy for standard. Um, and if you're doing that in something like modern or legacy, it's a glass cannon sort of thing where you're going to get punished for, for playing that sort of thing where, yeah, you might win outright, but also you're going to get punished hard for it. And standard, it's just like, you're just playing it because it's a six mana spell. 
Right. Like, if you show up with turns at Modern, like, if I tried that, three of my four opponents would be burn opponents. I can guarantee you that, right? <laughs> like, that's... And, and that's the way it should be. You know, I should be... I, and I feel this with Storm, right? Some nights I go through people like, you know, a hot knife through butter. And then other nights it's like, well, playing against nothing but Eidolons tonight is pretty rough. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just how it's meant to be. Um, whereas with this, though, in the the way Standard is configured, and because Auburn's Epiphany has Fortel, um, the, real, the only real color that interacts with it favorably is blue. And then mm-hmm. you're in blue, then you're like, well, I guess I better play Epiphanies, right? And so it kind of creates this weird logic loop. And I would recognize that Asika's Chariot into Renin 7 is very powerful, but I think there are a lot of answers for that. Like a lot, a lot of instant speed, oh, yeah. fight cards, red, black cards that can answer that. Whereas because it has Fortel, like duress effects basically out the window. Um, and. The fact that it breaks the rule like you time walk, but then you also get creatures is, I mean, I'm not telling some people something they don't already know. It's just not that shocking to me, and I would not be Mm -hmm. surprised if it's gone, and it wouldn't hurt my feelings if it's gone, but I also still think with it in, it's a much better standard than it's been for a while. Is that fair? Yep. All right. Well, hey, Cameron. That's what's going on in Magic this week, right? Mm-hmm. I'm sure there were some other tournaments somewhere that also said All Runs Epiphany was the best deck. I'm sure we'll be revisiting this soon. But uh, and then we can have a band cast, which you know we always live for those. Yeah. Um, anyway, but let's get a segment and talk about what we've been watching this week. All right, Cameron, this is an unusual thing. We've both been watching television. Hmm. Strange. Um. And you've been watching some science fiction. Yeah, yeah. Isaac Asimov's foundation makes it to the screen in the form of um, Apple's latest (laughs) TV series. Um, I read the foundation. I read the first three books of foundation a few years ago. And I like Isaac Asimov. I think he, you know, obviously he's great and he's like a household name when it comes to sci-fi um but i remember reading foundation specifically and thinking like this is good but like it's really boring like i want a good character he is so much into like these big ideas and we're going to just span thousands of years and that's going to be this thing we're just talking about ideas and I, I start to lose interest. I think maybe a lot of people who maybe come from like the fantasy realm or just want really well-told character narratives, um, you're not going to get that specifically with this series. Um, so with the TV show, it might be one of the best-looking TV shows of 2021. The budget on this is absurd. This, this, this It is just visually mind-boggling how good it looks like the opening um pilot episode is just gorgeous beyond belief um super super good but like it's like you know this beautiful image but it doesn't really feel like it has a lot of grit it doesn't have like a lot of substance It, it just feels like 
I'm looking at this shiny object that doesn't really have what I'm wanting in a good TV show, which is really, you know, interesting characters um, that interact with each other. Um, you know, <laughs> the foundation of TV, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know. Like, I'm going to continue to watch it. It's visual eye candy. I, I, I have enjoyed um, those first books as far as, like, the big ideas, but, like, this is not going to be Game of Thrones with, like, the characters you're going to fall in love with, um, which is a huge shame. And it actually gives me pause because this is kind of how I feel about Dune as well. Um, once again, big sci-fi ideas, ideas, hugely influential to the, you know, the legacy of sci-fi and how many things were inspired by it. Um, but, like, just not an interesting character when it comes down to it. So here we are. So, did you see the Dune film yet? Is it out? Have I missed that? Or? No, no. It comes out like end of October, I think. Got it. Um, yeah, I, I often find myself wondering how science fiction and fantasy fell in together. Mm. Um, was it just, hey, this is nerd stuff, so let's throw them on the same bookshelf? Because really, the execution of some of the best ones is very different. I would argue that like... Dune still feels like a fantasy novel in a lot of ways, mm. but like, like the for example, you know Neil Stephenson, Will, Will uh, William Gibson stuff, um, or you know, take whatever you want. I, that was those yeah. are both specifically kind of cyberpunk examples. Those feel nothing like fantasy, and the way in which they're written don't feel like fantasy. Yep, and the way their structure doesn't feel like fantasy, and so it just kind of like, and I I have no bigger of a like complicated relationship with any author than I do with Neil Stephenson when he is on I think he is out like just like the maybe the best living writer uh <laughs> in terms of like bringing big ideas to like a yeah. comprehensible thing but then there's sometimes where he leaves me so cold like so incredibly cold um and it feels very clinical and like I'm just like this character has a name and does stuff but I can tell you nothing about them otherwise yeah. right yeah um so that's that would be my big criticism where fantasy is oftentimes the context and the world building is just terrible. Like the research of what's going on is not good. <laughs> but man, do you love the best friend? They are just awesome characters, you know? Um No, I um I've never read Asimov and I've tried Dune like three times, including the audiobook, and I've just never connected with it, dude. Yep. Um and it's a bummer because I want to love it. I want to be in on the discussion. Yeah. yeah. And I want to understand its influences on Star Wars and all these other things, right? Uh, but I have trouble with that, right? And I, I, I would love to know because everyone always tells me, oh, it influences Star Wars so much. But it doesn't really influence Star Trek, right? As a Trek person, you kind of exist outside of Dune's influence, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, there's elements that they share, but like, I, I feel like you know that DNA branched pretty far away as far as like what each kind of represents. Yeah, and you, not to not to put you in a bucket, but I feel like a lot of the sci-fi that you like is not far away sci-fi. It's like like Star Trek and the sci-fi that you read, like it has roots in now. Mm, and mm -hmm. actually connects to our current reality in some way and extrapolates out an idea. Yeah. So if we wanted to kind of like really split hairs, like my favorite type of sci-fi would be like the more speculative fiction where it's like 
this is 50 years kind of following a path of where we could possibly be. And let's just kind of think about like where, where humanity could be in 50 years time. Right. That's that, that to me is really intriguing. Yeah. Whereas Dune is like completely disconnected from what, and so is a lot of the Asimov stuff, right? It's like, yeah. Hey, this is almost a different reality. And yeah. Um, I'm about to take a hard left turn with you, Cameron. <laughs> Good. Have Good. you ever heard of the show Clarkson's Farm? I don't know anything about this. Do you know who Jeremy Clarkson is? He is like no. the main guy from British Top Gear. Oh, yeah, yes, yes, yes. Okay, yeah. And look, I will be the first to admit the dude is problematic in a lot of ways. <laughs> I really find him engaging. He reminds me of a British version of like my dad and my uncles, like sometimes progressive, sometimes like earth shatteringly not Uh and, and like stubborn and loud and all these things and very funny. Um, but the concept of the show is this, and the first season's on Amazon is, uh, so top gear when he was on, it was like the top show in the world. So obviously he's like a millionaire many times over, very wealthy. And he owned an estate in England, like a farm. And he decided the concept of the show is the guy who was farming the land for him retired or quit or something. And so he's going to try and learn to be a farmer. Right. (laughs) And basically it's a total disaster all the time. And you just learn about all the difficulties with raising sheep or, you know, tilling ground or whatever. And it's so cool because I live in a farming area and while I'm not a farmer, I did grow up and work on a farm when I was a young guy. And so just to see this through another cultural lens is really interesting. Um, and look, all the reality TV, you know, I, this stuff always blows me away. When people like, you know, with Top Gear, this, they're like, you know how many of those things are set up? It's like, dude, all of them. Like, it's TV. I, I get it, you know. I, I'm not, I, yeah, I'm not <laughs> yeah. shocked by that. Um, but it's really well produced and a lot of the things that they do in it are a ton of fun, but I ended up learning a lot. Like I didn't know anything about sheep at all that they're not raised where I live. Mm -hmm. Um, but like for example, in one moment he buys 80 female sheep and he's like, okay, how many rams do I need to like, you know, start producing multiple sheep? And they're like, you know, you can get away with one. But I would get two just to be safe. And it's like, you hear that and you're like, how is the whole world not sheep? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> so it is, and, and like we're in the thick of my daughter's like volleyball season right now. So when I come home after an away game, it's like, you know, I got to be in bed in an hour. Mm. And I have loved Deathloop Cameron. But in those moments, it's really hard to be like, I would like to play an arcane video game. It is mm-hmm. just not, I need to just, so this week I was like, I need to find something dumb to watch that's not super dumb, like not Mass Singer, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and this has really fit that bill, and it's really been nice. good. So Clarkson's Farm, season one is available on Amazon Prime. Anyway, Cameron, if someone would like to talk to you about uh, harvesting crops or uh, raising sheep, where could they find you? It's all on Twitter, at Cameron underscore McCoy. And I am at Curtis now. Our official show feed is at Spike Feed MTG. We will check you guys next week.